0: MRI safety is at the forefront of our profession. It starts with protecting Zone 4 and is why the ACR recommends using a caution barrier at the Zone 4 entrance. But what good is another sign in a room full of signs? Well, Aegis has created the perfect solution with TechGate Auto. TechGate Auto allows more focus on the patient and less worries about someone entering the room without being cleared. If you're serious about MRI safety, use the link in the description below to find out more.
1: On 3 Podcast, I am Robert. Yes, and I am Reggie. And today we are joined by a field service engineer, It's Todd Bedoin. There you go. Did I pronounce I it right? It's yeah, that French. It. I don't know. It I don't, is French. I'm not bilingual. You're, you're... <laughs> no, I'll answer to it. But you, you play start. hard to get, Todd. We've been trying to get you on yeah, for a bit. You're a business guy. You caught me at a moment of weakness. <laughs>
2: <And> committed.
1: <laughs> uh, well, first off, you're a field service engineer, and that's what you're here to discuss today. But if sure. you, before we get into all that, kind of give your background as far as like... A little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you came to be here in Arizona. Sure, Um, I'm originally from North Dakota,
2: um, born and raised there. I came to uh, Arizona to uh, attend college. Um, I went to DeVry, got a bachelor's of science in electronic engineering. Um, From there, I uh, switched to uh, took a position in semiconductor industry, and I worked that for several years. Um, That business pretty went flat, you know, right after Y two K and Kind of moved, transitioned into healthcare from there, um, and I've been in healthcare ever since then. So,
1: so was it a conscious decision to get rid of your accent? Because I don't hear an accent. Y- you will, <laughs> so it'll come out. Uh, so no, don't okay. Okay. What kind of accent
0: people from uh, North
2: Dakota? Oh, you ever
1: ever seen Fargo? Yeah, you seen. Don't Fargo? you know that type of?
0: Oh, like a Canadian type of style. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah, close I to
1: Canada, kinda so kinda it's like oh, okay.
2: that. just watch the vowels. Do you right. apologize <laughs> a lot, like those Canadians?
1: Sorry, Canada. Sorry. Well, like we said, you're here as a field service engineer. We're kind of curious. You said mentioning school, you went to DeVry, and yeah. how originally it wasn't healthcare. You thought you'd get into. How did you get into healthcare? Um. That was kind of like, well, so semiconductor industry went very flat.
2: I worked field service my entire career. Um, the semiconductor business went really flat after Y2K. So there was a big buildup in there. Um, you know, everybody got laid off. And then healthcare okay. seemed like a pretty safe business to get into. There's still field service. Um, it was a very difficult business to get into. Um it seems like you have to either come right out of school and kind of get into healthcare in that line of work or like out of the military into it. Oh, but, right. um, but I got accepted by, uh, a small MRI manufacturer called Phonar and, uh, was trained by them. And, uh, that kind of launched my career into health. He's a humble sports.
1: man. And I'm gra- glad you brought that up. So Phonar, <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's talk so about it, was that. Small, right? it was small, right? But not really, small. when he you was... think about the person who was part of that the
2: person who started the company um yeah dr raymond domadian invented mri right Um, he was the first man he created the indomitable um the first mri (laughs) And he was the first one to extract an NMR signal from a
1: human body. So you were trained directly under Dr. Domadian, the inventor of MRI. Yeah, his team. Look how <laughs> humble this man is. Right? <laughs> just like trying to slide that in, like it's yeah, just kind of slide it in there. Well, um, give us some uh, juicy gossip about Dr. Demadian. We just apparently, well, for the record, he just passed away, unfortunately. So yeah. we'll probably put a rest in peace right there. Sure. But um.
2: Um, yeah, he's, he's, a, uh, was a brilliant man. I met him a few times, um, was trained by his team, learned a lot of my MRI physics from them, like basic MRI stuff. Um, spent like several weeks in Melville, New York, going through that stuff. Uh, and then hands-on experience on their equipment. Um, super smart guy. I mean, he's how he came up with that is incredible, right? Have to think and just, differently, right? Yeah. And it's just like some of the stuff he educated me on, you know, doesn't have much relevance in, in well for example word. well he like he was very proud that he came up with uh, the equations for like t1 and t2 relaxation times and and had us memorize those um right. it, it doesn't do me a lot of good change in parts on the field but right. um it's it's interesting tidbits to know but um there was some very good training in there um like i discussed with you uh they trained us you know what gradients are doing what during what times of the scan um and that's proved fruitful in my career is to figure out like what gradients causing the problem. Um, you'll see gradient collapses on some scans um, when you have hardware issues and stuff like that. Um, uh, diagnosing like spike noise and stuff like that, that helps out to know, uh, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he had an interesting piece of machinery. It was an upright scanner and there's still several out there and the company still viable today. And, right. um, but yeah, that was my, little start into MRI. Oh, his name would be all over my resume. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, all right. So then well, you went from there to what then? To GE Healthcare. Okay. And then um, you worked with GE for how many years? 13
2: years. Okay. So until like about a year and a half ago, I joined the, uh, the male organization mm-hmm. under the uh, healthcare technology um, segment. Um, it's kind of split between biomed and imaging. And so I'm on the imaging side. Um, responsible for taking care of the MRIs, everything kind of associated with those uh, along with the pet MR downstairs in oncology. All right.
1: Now, because um, I imagine your, your knowledge initially was pretty GE strong. So was that difficult switching to different vendors or is it a pretty easy transfer?
2: <clears throat> no, that's uh, part of the imaging business uh, as far as field service goes is doing a, what's called multi-vendor service. So you do actually, they'll write contracts on competitors' equipment um, and they they have a very strong business um, and they actually have their own machines in which you get trained on. So you don't really go to a, like a Siemens training school, but GE has Siemens equipment in which to train you on. Um, oh, yeah. So it's not completely foreign to me. Um, right. But, you know, I still, my coworker, UC who's very good at, you know, filling in the gaps for me, yeah. um, you know, an MRI as an MRI, they kind of all have the same pieces and parts, maybe a different name to them, a little bit,
1: right. you know, they all kind of function the same. So. Um, well, from an MR techs perspective, that's kind of how I train people who are mm-hmm. new to a, a new vendor is I just sure. say, this is basically the same car. You just have to learn where this car's right. turning signal is or exactly. windshield wipers. Or where the buttons are. Exactly. Stuff. So Yeah, exactly. So, um, so it translates the same. Yeah, um,
2: it, it's pretty much the same stuff. It's just, what do you call it? There's some kind of monumental differences between the scanners and of, of component locations and how they do things. But um, in the end, they're the same subsystems.
1: So I imagine a lot of people in your, in, in your field probably went through the sort, same sort of training where they got on with a vendor and through that, that's where they gain their knowledge and it yeah. just kind of translates throughout. Sure. So I think that's kind of one of the better ways to, to get trained.
2: Um, as a vendor, you see kind of all problems. You know, you see a large volume of problems. So that's your job is to go out there and solve them with the support of the OAM We should be able to solve basically any problem on that system. uh,
1: One thing I'm curious about is the requirements as far as certifications, credentials. So, like, any field service engineer? Do they all have the same degree? Or like, how? No,
2: right. What is a field service engineer? Field, yeah, that's a it's a catch-all, man. Right. Um, You kind of, if you can resolve a problem, you know, you might have a, a good chance of surviving in that field. But the problems are can be complicated. I mean we deal with mechanical problems, we deal with uh environmental controls, right. uh electronics, electricity, just incoming power, stuff everything. like that, uh networking problems. You, you kind of touch right. base on like everything, right? Um right. and having a little bit of knowledge of all of that stuff makes for a better well-rounded service guy. Uh, That's
1: why I always look up to like you guys and, and admire you really because I imagine real. you have a better knowledge of the physics than some of these techs do right Uh, certainly some of these doctors and uh the way you just come in and fix a problem like that when we're just staring at a blank screen like we we rebooted it (laughs) beyond that i don't really know what to do (laughs) right right right
2: and then sometimes you know you really don't need to reboot um it might be you know like different scanners would tell you you know i have a bias fault and that doesn't require a reboot you know it's telling you that the coil's not connected or there's a problem there Open um, or something. Yeah, right. you got an open bias fault or a short, that's even worse. You know, it's just like, okay. Um, it's kind of like that insurance commercial, you know, where you've seen a thing or two. You kind flow of know one. a thing or two. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just like you've been around it long enough. You can identify these problems pretty quickly and solve them pretty
1: quickly. So experience is definitely valuable.
2: Absolutely. I think it's, in, in, yeah, it's one of the biggest things to have.
1: And it's also, imagine, a team effort because I know you're surrounded by absolutely. a lot of smart people as well. Absolutely. I've My career has been pretty blessed with
2: being around very knowledgeable people. And uh, having them mentor me along the way has been very instrumental in my success. Yeah, just collectively you guys are able to overcome. Yeah, and, and I've worked with some awesome people in my day, and it's really helped me. Um, and I share that with my coworkers. So, you know, whatever knowledge I have, I'm not going to harbor that i'm going to actually disseminate that amongst them
1: right from a text perspective i would say the same is true right so we, oh, we sure. train from each other you know we're right. always training right. each absolutely. other absolutely i'm like just because there's sometimes there's no right or
2: wrong way to do this right and it's just like this way might be just a hair bit better and it's right. like yeah sharing that knowledge is is instrumental i think so and
0: there, is there a like robert was kind of asking before before i interrupted mm-hmm. uh like a career path like do you just go to school and then you just jump in and you just off to the win,
2: man. You know, um, actually, right now this field is really short of people. Um, and like my employer actually is providing education for people if they want to sign up. Oh, you can get free education, and you know they pay for it if you'll come to work for us. Um, you know, just try to kind of get more young people into this kind of business there's for this sure. true shortage there too
1: sure. so are they actively
2: recruiting or are they just sure kinda, okay yeah and they've set up programs um I, one of them's at mesa community college i believe they'll they'll pay for your tuition and stuff if oh, you wow. want to get educated and like last i heard they got no takers um well,
0: hopefully that well, i'll try to find the <laughs> link and we'll promote in it the description yeah, yeah yeah um
2: but yeah it's you know we deal uh most of my coworkers are either had an electronics background or come out of the military with some sort of electronics training out of there. Um, just guys that like to kind of turn wrenches, but you get a little of electronics in there and you get a right. little mix of this stuff. And, um, uh, one of my coworkers he's now retired, you know, he called us perpetual tinkers. And, and I thought that was a good <laughs> like analogy of how, right. how yeah. we work. Um, just always kind of making things a little bit better and, and uh, that kind of attitude helps.
0: I can imagine you as a kid always taking your toys apart, putting uh, them back together. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Destroyed <laughs> right. and rewired all kinds of Every stuff. Day, huh? and my, I my call dad, those kids
1: nerds. Yeah. <laughs> but my
2: dad was super helpful about that. You know, he went through um, like parallel and series circuits with us when we were oh, little oh, kids. And nice. um, my dad was self-educated and, you know, he started his own businesses and stuff like that. And he was always learning more. And that was oh, very, it was awesome. those are the
1: smartest people. I think the ones that are self-driven, self-driven yeah. for sure. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Right. So, yeah. yeah so yeah well uh ahead,
1: well with like the evolution of your career does it usually start <laughs> off as modalities like you start in x-ray and then you'll move up to ct and then mri
2: um yeah like diff- uh, some of the older guys uh, seasoned guys i should say let's call it that, <laughs> right. um it started out kind of like that because like mri is kind of like one of the last modalities to come in to play here right. um, so most of those had started out in like ultrasound or x-ray and, and worked their way up um, I didn't I just kind of jumped peak first right into M R I. MRI um, that's a flex right there no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you put Dr. Dominion's name yeah, on there right? well <laughs> <laughs> um, well you know one of my former co-workers called MR many regrets and uh, after a, f- a few years of working in that's that line of work I, I see where he got that that's right. um, <laughs> so, so many moving
0: parts so many, it's, you know there's Three sources that were, you know, there's multiple sources that we're using to acquire the picture. So so many things can sure. go wrong,
2: right? Absolutely, and it's just, it's to me, it's amazing that the thing works at all. Right. You know, if you really look at it, how many subsystems are involved with this, right. and how to keep everything timed perfectly, um, okay. it's amazing that we generate images for sure so
1: i'm kind of curious on where to start off as far as like the actual diving into what it is that you do on a day-to-day we can talk about like the installation sure. of the magnets doing sure. upgrades and whatnot but i'm also curious about just daily like um troubleshooting and stuff like that sure. probably like uh and then also preventative maintenance mm-hmm. identifying problems it's it, we we'll hope to cover all of it today but sure. um, where do you think would be the best wherever i mean my day-to-day stuff is um you're like that date that says, "I don't care where we eat,"
2: right? It's like, <laughs> it's like, hey, for our, this is whatever's going to come my way today, and it's it's yeah. all reactive, you know. So preventative maintenance is a, is a scheduled kind of thing, uh-huh. but most of our work is is reactive. Um, you know, techs have a problem; we can't figure this out. Um, we don't know how to do this, or this is broken, this thing fell off, or right. that thing
1: got jammed through the wall. Right, <laughs> oh, God. And it's um, on a case-to-case basis, but sure. would you find that a lot of these things are something you're able to remote in and resolve, or um, do you prefer to be more hands-on?
2: Uh, we use, a lot of it is hands-on, but we do use our remote capabilities quite a bit. Um, nice. And that's very helpful because scanner oh. time is very difficult to get. Um, would you consider that the hardest part of the job that's a very difficult part of the job right. is getting scanner time um, you know MRI is not the fastest thing in the world if I have to do a QA on something it takes time yeah. and it's you know I cost money absolutely right. and you take the table down you know you guys can't set the table up I'm gonna tear it all apart right. and do my thing and it takes you know 20 30 minutes of your day and it's disruptive. Um, so if we can look at things behind the scenes, we can dig through error logs, um, like on the newer stuff, I can change like, uh, destination nodes and stuff like that without interrupting you guys,
1: um, which is, is very helpful
0: for sure. All on the back.
1: So on our end, would you find that there's things that we can do to kind of help make your job easier when, when problems do arise?
0: Yeah. Like Um, capturing or I don't know, like capturing certain type of data or describing the issue better.
1: Doing it, just um, a screenshot of the of the
2: well, like so, code. like the um, like Siemens likes you to do like a save state on there as soon as the problem arises. Right. Um, the problem with that is it can take you fifteen minutes to do this. Right. right? So that nobody wants to get exactly. That done. <laughs> so, but you know, it being um, letting us know in a timely manner so we can like denote because the error logs are huge. Um, it can oh, take it it dumps a those. lot of data to figure out what was the root source of the problem um so if we have a more definitive time of when the problem occurred then we can that helps us sift through that data a little quicker um but as far as yeah i mean it's all case by case basis i think so what
1: would you say is some of the most common problems you come across and what are the ones that keep you there overnight the most common stuff is like coils um, you know,
2: they're used and abused the most um, pens, huh? pins pens, bent just- bent pins, bent and, <laughs> and, uh, stuff like that. Um, right. some of the stuff that keeps us there overnight are some of this stuff that just doesn't go right. I mean, we have a lot of jobs like that software load that we yeah. uh, stumbled into. And, um, it's the ones that there's no like knowledge base, like nobody's Run into this before, and right. then you're like, you're stuck trying to figure this stuff out and sort out all of these things. Yeah. Um, that really eats a lot of time. And uh, when you're doing something and the calibration takes four hours, um, oh, wow,
0: you're yeah.
2: stuck there for four hours, and if it fails, you you're zeroing out and you're starting all over. So that happens a lot. You cross your fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for four hours. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I hope this works this time. Um, you know, and it's a good time to go get lunch, I guess. So, um, cause you might be there for a while and that's, that's MR. I mean, gosh, we've, we've worked on problems for, you know, days, months at a time. And it's, it can be long hours late into the night. Um,
0: Have have you noticed that as the technology has kind of grown or changed that your job has gotten a little bit easier or has it gotten harder because of more components?
2: Some of this stuff has gotten easier, but it's also created more problems. So the hardware on the machines has gone through like um, what I would consider a consolidation. Um, Instead of having huge amounts of chassis, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these boards in there, that might be condensed now to one board. Um, Uh. But You know everybody's kind of trying to improve these things all at the same time like we had an escalation once and it turned out you know there was like spine images were bad and it turned out that they were monkeying around a little bit in the software with pre-scan times and so there's muxing that goes on when you guys select the channels that you want right there was a mux in which the settling time wasn't long enough for that mux to settle and select the proper channels and the software was getting ahead of that. But so oh. at the time you're, so all your channels might've not been turned on. You get during pre-scan during pre-scan oh. because that's where you can save the most time as a manufacturer is cut your pre-scan time. Your scan time's fixed, right? There's right. nothing you can do, do about it. that. Right. But there's tricks the manufacturers use in pre-scan to kind of shave some time off of things. So they'll jump, they'll skip uh, TG, um, transmit gain. Transmit gain. Yeah. So instead of having that, what's called a fine tune gain, um, right. they'll do a fast TG. They'll take big steps. It's close enough um, right. for, for clinical imaging. Um, so, like when we run service stuff, we'll use a fine tune gain. It steps very slowly. So instead of like your pre scan taking 15, 20 seconds. Right ours might take 45 to 50 seconds, you know, just to step through this and do a temperature calibration and all that stuff. So, um, that's all the stuff like in service that you guys never, ever never see. Right? So, um, yeah, but yeah, the other technologies, <laughs> both like, um, some of the automation has gotten a lot better. So I've been doing oh, MRI yeah. for almost 20 years. Yeah. Um, like calibrating eddy currents used to take us a day four six hours, you know, and if it failed, you started again. Um, now it's a put the fixture in there in 30 minutes it's done right. Um, so in that aspect it's it's a trade-off but yeah
0: right and some of the newer scanners are boasting like almost zero eddy current issues too that I've seen, like Philips, maybe with their new uh, 3T that we did, check out that video. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their diffusions, oh my gosh, like eddy currents. It, it, at least I haven't actually used the scanner, but the, the, the demonstration was amazing. Yeah. Just have like, just don't have to even worry about that anymore.
2: Yeah, I mean, it could be that just they're compensating very well just for really them. Well, right? um, I know the the General has done uh, a lot of oscillatory calibrations as far as eddy currents go too. So there's, they're, it's getting better right? it's getting better right yeah it's getting better and it's getting faster right so yeah and that's what we're here to get done so right nice
1: oh yeah because i guess time is money right at the end yeah, of the day for sure absolutely <laughs> no <laughs>
2: ask any
0: mr manager about mm-hmm. that right?
1: well it's from from a tax perspective because i'm curious like we so we're some jobs will record daily values right and some won't they'll do weekly ones and mm-hmm. so i'm wondering what the importance of that is and how that affects what you guys do and So are we talking like like QAs and stuff like that?
2: Okay, yeah, so we're trending the machine. So we want to make sure that we don't see a deviation going one way or the other. So say you're trending your RF, your TG, your Mm transmitting. Okay, say it's 123 and it's been 123 for six months. All of a sudden it starts to trend up 126, 128, 129. Well, that tells me as an engineer that your RF amps going south. Um, It's getting soft. So because it's losing power, it's going to make your transmit gain go up. How that affects you is that transmit gain is part of your SAR calculation. So you might be saring out for no reason whatsoever because the system's just compensating. It doesn't have a feedback system, right? There's we're just throwing RF out there. We calibrate the amplifier to a specific output. Say if I3T, you're going to put 35 kilowatts into a dummy load, and we're going to calculate that. So by the time it gets to the body coil, it's got some loss. It's got some reflected power. Um, but we're going to trend that. And you'll see that because every body coil that's in there that's transmitting has a different efficiency. So there's a different loss on every system. No system is going to be identical. Um, so. That data we use, so we're going to trend that. You might see a center frequency cool. start to drift. So, hey, oh, yeah. now we've got a magnet that's drifting. What's <laughs> causing the magnet to drift? That can be an environmental problem. Right. Um, your air conditioning is too cold. It's turning over the air too fast in the room. Now we're putting an oscillation into the magnet, and that's bad. Um, so that's kind of the importance why we're collecting that data. You know, We also collect the data on the magnets we're trending that we
1: got to watch those. Those are pressure vessels and we're going to keep an eye on those. So, so like I would imagine there's environmental, like, uh, plays a huge part in MRI. Yeah. For example, like if weather. Sure. Oh, where you're located. Um, Where you're located
2: the barometric pressure and humidity. Um, You know, we watch like the the gradients and everything are water cooled. The electronics are water cooled. So you have to maintain proper temperatures in there because we don't want condensation buildup and anything like that. Um, I've had problems in the past where the body coils just soaked in water because they drove the temperature of the gradient coil too cold and it condensated all inside of there. The problem with that is is there's a there's biasing that goes on in the body coil so you turn the body coil on and off when you transmit um and when you scan and that that takes um biasing and reverse biasing of diodes and that's like a thousand volts of electricity in there um and they automatically the system shuts down when it sees a short on that system so
1: Imaging Diversified offers monthly support subscriptions with daily phone support. This comes with optional yearly training, a dedicated app specialist, and quarterly image review for your site. Visit our website to sign up today.
2: So yeah, environmental controls is a big part of it. Um, keeping that scan room like the same temperature all the time is is critical it's to good. its stability. Um, nice. And people, I've fought a lot of that in my day where these new buildings, you know, come 10 o'clock at night, they want to let that room AC shut off, and that's a big problem. Oh. We can't do that. You have an eight-ton magnet sitting there, and it's going to warm up.
0: But an $1,800, you know, electricity bill. <laughs> right, <too>. right, right, right. <laughs> so,
2: and we can talk about that, too. I mean, it's incredible how much electricity it takes to run these. Oh, right. And even just to maintain the cryogen system. Um so yeah, there's there's all kinds the energy of cost huge, right? Energy cost is pretty expensive. Well, because um, helium, which was a short, well, is a shortage, right? It's, it's always going to be a
0: problem, right? And now a lot of scanners, you know, have kind of found a way around that a little bit with yeah. zero burn
2: off, right? Like well, that. yeah, so most of Did the helium maggots, free, helium uh, free. Yeah. Well, they have a little bit of helium in there, but they're sealed vessels. Um, so therefore, if they do quench, it's going to stay inside the magnet. It's going to basically burp oh um and oh. then they're gonna re-cool the cryostat and then re-ramp the magnet
0: so. that's super safe
2: we'll find if out if it's just a burp <laughs> <laughs> that's the reactor. <laughs> i'm like uh, <laughs> i don't know how much is in there and i don't i haven't seen one and i don't know the specifications on it but um right. yeah i mean because we're talking you know the 1.5s and 3ts are anywhere from like 1600 to 2000 liter vessels um it's a lot of helium in those um it's expensive
0: well, do you know how much it costs to kind of keep these things cool? Like, even with just the temperature, like environment-wise and stuff like that, with AC, Well, or? there's
2: the system, and then there's the eternal flame in the magnet, right? Oh, so, right. because the magnet has to be at superconducting temperatures. What, four, 4.4 degrees Kelvin, right? Because right. we're 4 point something. Right around there, we liquefy helium, helium. gas, right? Um, so, there's that chirping. It's the cold head, right? The end of that cold head goes down down 4.2 degrees Kelvin, right? So that's where the liquid is done. That cold head can only pull out like 1.2 watts of power. So think about your light bulb in your house. If you have a 50-60 watt light bulb, that thing's only extracting 1.2 watts of power to keep that magnet cold. To get that one watt out of that magnet, we have to run this big cryo compressor, That's three phase, you know, 208 volts, at 30 amps. And that thing's chugging along 24 seven to cool that we take a five ton chiller. So (laughs) five tons of five tons of air conditioning is what it takes to cool your house. Um, and that runs 24 seven. So you see the chain there to get one watt of energy out of that magnet takes an end you know, five tons of cooling to get that done. Wow. Um so there it's expensive and it's that's what we strive to maintain. Is, uh,
0: is there a certain amount of time that you can like not hear the chirping, the cool head to be the
2: cold head to be off sure. before it actually quenches? well it shouldn't quench. Okay. Okay. Um that's kind of a like a misnomer ink. there. Okay. Um so what you'll what you will run into is you'll run into a boil off situation on the magnet so after like four or five hours the vessel pressure is going to go from like this nominal one pound of pressure like on a ge to five and a quarter pounds and then it's going to start venting and that's we want to prevent that that's our helium going out the roof Ooh. dollar um, signs dollar signs, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> essentially i can't quote you on what it costs anymore but it's it's not cheap so um so so you have some window there to get like the Cold water or whatever component's bad to go again. And that's why we monitor that stuff because it's very, cryogens is like the number one expense for an OEM oh, wow. on their MRIs. On their, uh, it's dang. just, it's, that's, and they know that and they try to do everything they can to mitigate that. Um, so these zero burn off or these lower helium
0: magnets should be cheaper than huh?
2: uh, uh, operational cost wise, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So in, in the long term, that's going to be a good thing. Okay. Um, We'll see, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, <Good> <laughs> you know, if, if we're relying on like three or four cold heads to return the vessel down uh, to, to cooling temperature, that can take days. Um, I see. Um, we did work on this old O part um, and that one was actually cryogenless, but it was like a 0.13 Tesla, um, you know, it's a refrigerator magnet, right, um, right? But it was cryogenless and it operated basically off a of cold head. So um, but yeah, that's hopefully we get to that point. Sure. We don't have to deal with that. Yeah. And, um, but there's a lot of expense, and and we do track a lot of that data. Um. So that's why it's important that you know, <clears throat> people are going back and checking the status sure. of their magnet. Doing it accurately.
0: Don't just copy and paste what right. you saw yesterday. Yes. Right.
2: Because it can change. I it mean, can change. every day. And in, in a matter of hours, you can be in a in a bad situation. For sure. So and you know, getting parts and coordinating all that stuff to change this stuff is is a big deal. Um, like getting helium can be on a normal schedule, scheduled out a month in advance, oh, wow. because there's only so much allotted for these vendors. Uh-huh. You know, the government takes all of their helium. And so these fills are scheduled out months in advance. So when you get something like a quench, it's a logistics problem to rearrange this whole schedule and everybody's fill schedules and get that cryogen back into the magnet and get it cold again. Um, Cause the last thing you want to do is let that magnet go warm. Then it's a bigger problem. So.
0: <laughs> then when you say bigger problem, we talk talking gradients, cracking? No,
2: it's a bigger problem that the, the, the vessel gets too warm, and then you have to get it back down to cryogenic temperatures. And the only way to really do that in the field is shove a whole bunch of cryogens into it, oh. which is very expensive. Because right. it'll what you want it to do is to start to collect in the magnet, which actually turns into a liquid inside the vessel. Right. So otherwise it's too warm, it just flashes off goes out the roof
0: okay <laughs> so the only reason why like a gradient would literally crack is from a change of temperature that happens really fast a gradient, a gradient a well, gradient
2: right? i've had gradients crack and i think it's a vibrational problem oh um cause they're shaking every time you use it right, right. so um they are liquid cooled um and i've had them crack and they're that's the largest thing you can change on an mri right. as a field replaceable unit um but yeah, we've had them crack and it's, it's not a fun job. Right. It's a 2000 pound part and you're going oh to stick in a tin can. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a little tricky.
1: <laughs> no. Um, well, one thing I was, do you guys take the same approach when it's like okay. one, five versus three T's? I mean, it's the same components, Pretty right? Pretty much, it's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as far as.
2: Basically the difference to me is the operating frequency of the magnet. Okay. Um, coils, you know, are tuned to each frequency um the big difference most of the new scanners the like the, the gradients are the same um same thing same amp you we weren't gonna have to make a specific amplifier for three tier one five they can have the same slew it doesn't matter um right. but the rf amplifier is different uh the receive chains you know tuned to that frequency a lot of them are broadband enough it's the same thing um components are the same and that's nice. The electronics have gotten a lot simpler. We don't have dedicated, you know, one Tesla boards, 1.5 and 3T. It's the awesome. same stuff, Right.
1: No. I guess it's, it makes it easier for training for one, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we touched on environmental issues before. Sure. And one thing I think came to as a surprise to me at first is just certain things like what kind of lighting is in the room, mm-hmm. which is fluorescent, LED, these sort sure. of things, and what that can cause. Yeah, so I've been in this long enough to go
2: through the whole LED problem oh, nice.
1: um,
2: where, you know, LED lights, the replacement light bulbs were yeah. put in there. They're electrically noisy as all get out. And so um, when they first started coming out, you know, facilities people would come in and jam these light bulbs. They're never going to replace again, right? Right. Problem with that is, is, um, first of all, a lot of the units were illuminated with DC lighting, which takes an incandescent light bulb, which operates on DC voltage, no problem. Right. And that's how all these rooms were lit for so long. That was the solution. Um, and then they changed all that and they put 120 volts through there through a filter. And then, but these uh, light bulbs have rectifier circuits in them and they're incredibly noisy to the scanner. Scanners hear all that stuff. And then it's simple. I mean, I, they turn up, they still turn up. Like I think I had one in a mobile come up not that oh. long ago. And it's like you can tell because there's a slight delay when they turn on. Oh. If you flick the lights, you can see which one it is like really <laughs> fast. Um, and you take it out, all of a sudden your noise in your scanner is dr- dr- dropped. On, right? So, you know, your signal to noise, that's everything in MR, right?
0: right. Oh, that's
2: everything. So, when you raise your noise way up, then your signal is decreased. Yeah, you're drowning it. So, um yeah, those become a big problem. and, and educating people not to put those in there. So MRI lighting, so LEDs used a lot in there now, but all of the power supplies are well shielded and they're outside the room. So, so, and now the scanners are so sensitive, like even the injector power supplies, even though they're shielded, um, we have to move them outside the room because the scanner picks up that broadband noise. So it's just a little bit and that's kills it. Um, so we, we search for stuff like that
1: too. I mean, finding zippers, room leaks, um, stuff I want like to ask that. you about that. Like RF shielding and mm-hmm. then it's compromised. Like how do you, as far as the integrity of it, how do you identify the location of that leak? That's that's a needle in a haystack a lot of times. Um, so we look for
2: active stuff first. Um, anything that's turned on or powered up in the room. So we'll go in there and kill the power to all that stuff and see if it goes away. If it's still there, um, what you can do sometimes is like crack the scan room door and see if the amplitude of that goes up. If you, you can see it, it gets worse. And then you're like, okay, it's an external source. Um, I'm guessing the door would be the biggest source. The door is always the biggest source. Um, on occasion, we've had like networking guys shove network cables through waveguides. So oh. that becomes an antenna right into the room. Right. Um, but room leaks, yeah, we've worked, a lot of times that's on install is where the room, the leak is discovered um, because the scanner won't pass coherent noise or noise studies like that. Um, What I've done in the past is use like surface coils and you can kind of get a sense of direction of it by moving the coil around as an antenna and and (laughs) pointing it it at the wall. Yeah, and it's it's like, so you can do that and watch the amplitude of your signal come up in pre-scan. And you're like, I'm over here somewhere. And that's uh, about as close as I can get like a little it. metal detector. It is. Time. And it's just like, and we've had, you know, these old four and, you know, those three and five inch coils right. on like some 50 foot cables. And, and we do that same thing for like spike noise, which is like the cancer of MRI. Right. It's like trying to find that, um, <laughs> you run around with
1: these little coils and, and try to pinpoint the source. You know. Yeah. Well, so this is kind of off the subject, but mm-hmm. I'm certainly curious. So if you have like a, a Ferris object that's breached zone four and you've got yes. it attached to the magnet, and you mm-hmm. get that call from the tech or supervisor, whoever it may be. Right. What's step one all the way through? Um, I put the work order in. <laughs> <laughs> step that's one. when you call in sick that day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody
2: else. Um, it really kind of depends on, you know, the object, what, what we're dealing with. But first and foremost is try to secure it. Make sure it's not going to, if it's in the bore or if it's attached to the magnet, you don't want to keep it from going into the bore. Um, I've been on a a bunch of those calls where things are stuck to the magnet and you know, the, some of the OEMs have rules as to what you're allowed to do. Um, like how many bodies you can put on that thing to try to get it off the magnet.
0: Oh, they have a rule like that. Like how many people can help you pull it off the magnet.
1: Yeah. What about um, the size of their muscles? It doesn't, they don't quantify <laughs> that. So I'm going to
2: go since, to the Right, exactly. So I'm not that big, so I, I count as half a person. <laughs> so, um, so we got a whole person right here. Right, right. But, um, you know, we've had to put, like, plywood and stuff in front of the bore to keep things from going apart, um, stuff like that. It's just secure. What's some
1: of the most common and most unusual ones you've seen um, attached? <laughs> We've Ballpoint had, uh, pen. <laughs> Well, so like when we were the the Sun
2: City sites, it was like a lot of paper clips in the board. Oh. Hair 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 pins. Those things just
0: and they get lost, like embedded on the Super fast, right? Yeah, stuff. they're
2: everywhere. Yeah. And so, like the old GE's, you know, they have the bridge in there. Oh, so every yeah. field service guy has a screwdriver about this long with a hook on the end <laughs> to try to pull those things out. And right when like you get it to the end, it shoots right back into the other side, and you're starting all over. But um, <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, we've had like laundry carts in there, like linen oh. carts stuck to the magnet. Um, I was involved with a wheelchair in Utah stuck to the magnet. I've had a contractor stuck to a magnet, oh, his no. tool belt <laughs> stuck on the oh. magnet. And they didn't quench it? <laughs> no. So, well, the the one in Utah where the wheelchair got stuck to it, um, it quenched the magnet. I'm guessing there was nobody in the wheelchair? Nobody was in the wheelchair. Um uh, the wheelchair, t- I don't know why the wheelchair got took in there. It was not an MRC wheelchair. <laughs> it actually killed the magnet. Oh, so um, one thing to know about magnets is is the vessel is just the vessel. And the magnet is isolated, thermally isolated inside. It hangs basically inside of there on fiberglass rods. Um, so anytime something's stuck to the front of it, that magnet is, the inside is pulling to that And what happened on that one is it broke those fiberglass rods and the main coil basically fell. Just fell. Oh, and then when that happens, it becomes a thermal short and it's over. It's done. And that's what happened to that magnet when they did finally. So the wheelchair fell off when they tried to re-ramp the magnet. They had no connectivity to the main coil and the magnets toast there. So you have to replace the whole magnet.
0: Talk about a (laughs)
2: paperweight.
0: That's a that's a
2: really
1: heavy <laughs> paperweight. So, um, yeah. So with some precious metals in there too. So. Okay. So pretty common healthcare things. Pretty
2: common. See, yeah. I mean, like, like any guns. you've seen? Was, Yeah, guns. Um, there was somebody with an ankle holster that got through screening, and you know, they his leg got sucked to the side of the, the magnet. Um, canes are a big thing. Um, see a lot of those stuck to the magnet. Um, and you know, these things fly in so fast, they kind of break parts as they go in. Um, I a lot, uh, wash buckets. I don't know how those things have cracked whole front covers. They hit so hard when they go in there and, um, just you name like it. Mops it. I, and brooms. And- I got, I got a, um, I did an install once where the. Installs is where a lot of this stuff happens, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things, because there's always contractors that have to go back into the room for a little bit of work, a little touch um So it's important to know that your tools are different yeah. than their tools. Yeah, we use MR-safe non-mag tools, so mostly titanium. Um, like, I had a, a paint roller stuck in there. I had a caul- caulking gun stuck in there, and the guy tried to keep pulling it out, so he's... <laughs> Cock <laughs> at the <magazine>. oh, <laughs> so, um, you know, so, you know, like the paint rollers rolling around in there and it's getting paint all over the inside of this, you know, brand new scanner. And it's just like, this is a disaster. All, yeah. So, so, right. well, I mean,
0: I, It's like you work on multiple types of equipment that we have in that space, right? Sure. Like power injector, like you were saying, Absolutely, yep. uh, the pump, like the medication pump and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Do you find that things that are made to be in that room? easier than things that aren't like is there something about MRI
1: um
2: I don't think so most of that stuff's designed now to be safe in that environment um yeah I don't I don't see any correlation no um like the injectors you know they're just filled with gad most of the time and that causes all the problems that stuff turns to stone (laughs) everything big mess right right and it's just like that's that's most of the problem with those things i think
0: mostly nowadays too is fiber optic right
2: everything most in and out of the room is fiber optic as much as possible for communication it's just cleaner it's immunity to noise is is a huge plus um even the newer electronics in the Like in the equipment rooms, um, almost all of that stuff is fiber optic now. So everything like going to and from the gradients instead of having a big sub D connector, you know, shielded cable, it's fiber optic now. Um, So everything is converted to fiber optic and it's just so much better. Right
1: Now, is it just sitting in place or is it fixed? Because I've heard of stories of like the magnet actually walking. Oh,
2: yeah. The magnet shouldn't walk i've never heard of that so there's a, really? a steel beam in the wrong place <laughs> <laughs> was it with happened? tobias yeah. that we had it put
1: the link right there we actually had tobias Gale gone and he was talking about it it was slowly where they noticed like you know over there they'd come back the next day and it moved like two inches yeah kind of thing. i've heard of um
2: problems where they discovered that there's like a big steel beam under there that they didn't know about mm-hmm. or, um maybe it was something like Still, that yeah. so because a magnet when you bring a magnet up it kind of conforms everything in that area. Mm-hmm. So your shim will like change after six months once it kind of magnetizes everything in its direction that it wants. And so, so usually after an install, you have to come back, kind of touch the shim a little bit, um, make sure that's good.
0: There, yeah. No. Interesting, you know, I've always thought about, and this is a little off subject, and me nerding out real quick with Todd, but I always thought about force fields and how it's just kind of like, you know, how you have your mm-hmm. magnetic field. Mm-hmm. It's just like a reverse magnetic field that protects everything on the inside, yeah. it pushes everything away, pushing everything away.
2: Yeah. We wish we had that, keep everything out of there. You're right? <laughs> <laughs> not getting past, yeah, right? No.
1: So we're talking about quenches, uh, spontaneous ones and uh, unplanned ones. I'm curious about, or uh, uh, I'm curious about, like, so when these quenches do happen, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between, as far as logistics goes, of bringing it back up if it's a planned one and you're ramping it down versus a, uh, you know, like an actual breach of a ferrous object and you've got to quench the machine.
2: Um, In recovering of the magnet, um, it's the same. So, well, so normally we try to ramp magnets down. So slow and controlled, we're not going to blow the burst disc out of this thing. We're going to use a minimal amount of helium to do that. Um, So we like to do that. Um, That's our preference. But unfortunately, quenches do happen. Um, And most of the time they're called training quenches. and They're unexplainable. Um, Like all your data will look fabulous until that thing let go. Um, And a lot of times it's like the winding shift in the magnet. And there's been some improvements in the newer magnets to try to stop that, um, but yeah, sometimes they just they just quench and it, you can't explain it.
1: Um, I'm sure you've seen a few. I actually I've unknowingly <laughs> saw one uh, just within the past year or so. I was at a place and all of a sudden they just said, "Hey, the magnet just quenched." And I looked in the room and nothing looked different to me. So no, it was yeah. you know you you're told all these things to expect, but I didn't see any of that. All the safety stuff worked. so you'll
2: like uh, we had one quench nobody knew it quenched i walked up and i seen all the air message on the screen i was like oh this is not good so (laughs) grab a wrench we're gonna go test the field Um, and sure enough there's no field and when you pull the covers off you see the ice block up there and it's like oh yeah she's gone so um as far as recovering that you know you try to seal the vessel up as fast as you can um what happens is it's called cryo pumping sucks atmospheric air into the vessel and that's bad. Um, Nitrogen and oxygen freeze pretty close to each other, Mm -hmm. but it freezes a lot sooner than helium. So that causes ice blocks in magnets and ice is very dangerous when it comes to magnets. You don't want ice built up in your magnets. Um, That's a controlled pressure vessel. It can be a pressure bomb. So we want to regulate the pressure and maintain that. Ice is a problem because it blocks the uh, safety mechanisms. Um, I've cored through magnets at seven and eight pounds to get them to release that pressure because it's full of ice. Um, it's very dangerous. That's 2,000 liter vessel. Um, it'll, I have some data that I probably can't share um, <laughs> how, how much pressure a vessel can take um, before they explode. Um, but um, yeah, that's, it's a critical that people maintain that because that's what's going on. It's a pressurized vessel, I need to take it serious. Um, but ice is a big problem. So you want to seal the vessel and then you want to get cryogens in as soon as you can and keep the cold head um, running to make sure the vessel doesn't heat up. Because um, that's going to affect how much helium product you put in there before it starts to What's collapse. the downtime
1: on something like that? Um, Assuming <laughs> Average, like all your ducks in a row and all
2: your ducks in a row. I mean, we had a miraculous recovery. I've never seen one that fast at the hospital where basically the thing quenched and within hours there was a truck driving past basically with doers in it. And they told him, <laughs> him to turn around and come back and fill this thing up. Oh, that's funny. But it still takes like a day or two um, to get like the ramp equipment in there. Um, And when you ramp a magnet, if you don't park it really, really close to where that frequency was before, you might have to touch the shim up in the magnet. So you might need more equipment to come in to correct the shim. Luckily, they parked it so close, the shim was actually better than what it was before. Um, So, I mean, you can be down a week easy from a quench um, if you can't get product in there
1: fast enough. Well, there's a reason why we invited you. You're very knowledgeable. Uh, yeah, healthcare in knowledgeable itself guys. is not a <laughs> static industry, right? It's always evolving. We're expected yeah, to do continuing education. Are you guys also doing continuing um, education?
2: No, we just, we're kind of just uh, do product-specific education. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of up to speed on the product you're working on. So, oh, so okay. every time there's a new product. Every time you get a new product uh-huh. and you're responsible for it, you should be trained on
1: it. So are you guys, like we're getting apps training, you know, right? Are you guys getting direct training from the vendors? when That's these where do? we got
2: our training from our vendors, okay. so yeah. And is it
1: on-site training or do you guys no, go to them? No, we usually have
2: to go there because um, it's a lot of hands-on training. There's a lot of lab time with mm-hmm. these classes. So oh. you get to take things apart, you know, on their system, not our system, Because right. right? we don't, can't afford that downtime. But um, that's that's how our training is completed.
1: So nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess we're kind of just sort of wrapping up, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I am curious about your, I mean, and this is dependent on which where you work and whatnot, sure. but like you specifically, what's your call requirements? Hmm.
2: Call requirements is how many people are willing to take call and how many, <laughs> you know, people we have in our department. So, um, our call requirements is like every eight weeks, I think right now, eight, something like that. Um, but we're twenty basically. Four PM to seven AM is our call, and all weekend long. So whatever time in the night.
1: And then, how often are you guys
2: getting called in? I'm on call like every eight weeks, but it depends. I mean, sometimes you don't get any calls. Um, last time I was on call, they pulled me in at two o'clock in the morning for a CT um, or stuff like that. So.
1: So you're still servicing CT. We'll, we'll... triage it. And I understand that this is all really dependent on sure. you as an individual, your, your place of employment. Right. So, well,
2: yeah, and then it's mostly hospitals are like that. So, and we can touch upon that why hospitals are not all going to this in-house kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the response time of having your own people is so I'm, much better. I'm guessing it, response time is the answer. It's right? Absolutely. It's a hundred percent that cause it's time and that's what we're all fighting here. Right. right. So, oh, yeah. um, so yeah, so, I don't need to be an expert in that modality. I just need to know if there's not something I can turn on or reset, then right. then I'm calling somebody else up or calling it down. Right. Did and, you, you know, turn it off and turn it back on? Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <Or> do that <laughs> measurement. Um, call that level 10 reset. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just Shut wish I had your mindset. Up. I feel like you could no, fix anything. No, <laughs> your toaster no. at home breaks. You're fixing yeah, You're not buying anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, that's the thing, you know, and that that's part of the problem with finding – People that do this job is, you know, we've kind of become like a disposable society, and this is a complicated piece of equipment, and we're, we're not going to just throw parts at it. No, um, right. we need to be, and they're expensive parts, right? I um, it's like, so we need to be definitive when we're swapping things out.
1: Katie, do you feel like we haven't covered anything? Do you feel like we haven't covered anything?
2: I don't know. What else do you want to talk? You know,
0: about? I, I, when when you work at a place that has multiple like vendors but not just multiple vendors but even multiple scanners from the same vendors mm-hmm. and you're interchanging coils and tables like how does that all work can any coil be used on any scanner like, or oh. do you have to configure it
1: um how transferable are the tables
2: yeah well those are like system specific. So like, oh, we can't okay. take a solar table and put it on the Skyros. Okay, just, They don't, they're right. different. Right. Um, right. we can't take 1.5 <laughs> coils and use them on a three T they're tuned Some to frequencies. different frequencies. Right. right. So and the bandwidth of the coil is just that. So it's it doesn't have that ability to, to do that electronically. Um, so yeah, we're working on like getting all of our tables, Each one of them has like a calibration file, so it's transferable. We just register the tables to other scanners, and then and they work. So, and we try to make sure that all three of those, you know, are working on all scanners. Um, So, and when it comes to coils, um, they are. You can take a coil and you know, three T to three T. It's no problem. It doesn't have to be registered on the system. That's like for, from one
0: Skyro to another Skyro, Right.
2: And it you don't have to register it on the system. It will function and scan fine. Um, it only needs to be registered on the system in order to provide a QA file. So if you want to run a quality assurance on that stuff, um, then therefore it needs to be registered on there. So it creates a proper file with that serial number. So, yeah.
0: Okay. And when you say a proper file, like if we're doing that report so, and if you haven't, what's that report called? That the report hit, manager on there. Or um, that takes a long time every time that we do it. Um, oh,
2: like the save log. Yeah, on there. Does yeah. Does that matter with
0: that coil? Like, will it not be it, a proper save log if that mm-hmm. coil doesn't assign to that table?
2: Or no, it? it should capture that. Oh, okay. So, um,
0: so, so like a higher level QC.
2: Yeah, this is where I want to make sure that the coil is passing all its SNR. So okay, um, every element in there has a specific. Uh, snr that it needs to meet so right. otherwise it fails the qa so
1: cool yeah. yeah thanks man well like there's always up and coming things that we're at tech's excited about like <laughs> sure. as far as technology and upgrades and whatnot mm-hmm. what are what are you seeing on the horizon that you're excited about
2: um the new stuff to me is um like air Recon DL and deep learning yeah um that's kind of the new thing out there right now um I think once we get that along with a little bit more EPI stuff, I think we're I think MR is gonna kinda of be a volumetric kind of acquisition. Right. Um EPI's come a long way in, in you know, ten years. Um, so I think I think we're getting to that where we can acquire so many echoes at one time that mm-hmm. um, that's all we're gonna do. So we're going to acquire a bunch of stuff and post-process it later. <laughs> post-process yeah. And I think that's, it's going to take a while to get there, but I mean, that, I believe that's where we're going in MRI. Nice.
1: And you don't have to give the details as to why, if so, but have you ever had an MRI? Oh, I have had a lot of MRIs. Have you? Yeah. Just as in the working environment or as a patient?
2: um both um okay. so
1: yeah we used to be allowed to what do a that. perspective as you're sitting there listening to the pre-scans and it stuff. is and
2: it's just like i know what it's doing right now and, um and it's so right? it's so funny You just like because you mentioned that i remember um the first time i got well one of the first time that like i experienced cube um oh, when, nice. that, when that sequence came out several yeah. years ago i mean like Loud. That thing was shaking the whole scanner, right. right? And I'm like, they're scanning my knee. And I'm just like, okay, you have to tell me what that last one was because I've never heard anything right. like that before. <laughs> and it was just like, but I, you know, I can tell by the gradient pulses as to how far along I am in the scan, I don't need to hear the clock and I hear it switching and I'm like, okay, now it's trending the other way. And <laughs> so I'm listening for that kind of stuff in there. That's so you don't request fun. music then? No. I want, <laughs> I want to hear the sweet sounds of the gradients. <laughs> <laughs> <Sweet sounds laughs> of the
1: gradients. I think <laughs> you're going to do the next rap song for us. <laughs> uh, no, I don't have any talent. No. Uh, all right. So I guess one question we always do ask some mm-hmm. of our guests or we try to ask everyone is what is, been the most fulfilling moment in your healthcare career oh man fulfilling moment. geez
2: um solving a problem no one else could
0: <sighs>
1: pulling that somebody contractor off the it. magnet oh, I don't <laughs> <that>. I <don't laughs> <know>. um
2: <laughs> i don't know I, I haven't given that a whole lot of thought um
1: hmm. we put you on the spot this is the first time you haven't been able to answer a I question time. Oh, right?
2: Jeez. Hmm. i don't know um I did have one patient come out one time and he, he asked, you know, he's like, that thing makes a lot of noise. And he's like, there must be a lot of moving parts in there. And he was an engineer. And I, and they were like, well, the engineer's right there. You can talk to him. (laughs) Uh, So I kind of talked to him and he was like really Really impressive. He's like, I'm like, there's really no moving parts in there. The table that pushed you in there is it and everything else is electric electrical noise right. um I'm like that's like a bolt of lightning going off around you you know energizing that coil every time it fires
1: that's a good way to put it like the way because we we're asked that question a lot like yeah. is there moving parts why is it so loud and i usually just say that like that's the current changing directions and sure. stuff yeah it's an inrush
2: of current and that's like a lightning bolt going off in there it happens at the speed of light and it's basically being dead shorted into a coil right. um and that's your disruption to your field um and that's the big bang. So, <laughs> <laughs> The big bang of MRI. You know, that's our clip know. right there, Reggie. <laughs> All right. Well, I
1: think, uh, I don't know, Katie. Any yeah. other questions, Katie? Think, Come on.
2: You got anything for me?
1: I've been very excited about this episode, by the way, for uh, a while. So thank you. We all have. We this all is have so boring. <laughs> no, you're a humble man. <laughs> you're also a very smart man. So thank I you for know, coming yeah. in, Tom. We you appreciate die. you. We do
2: you're you. welcome.
1: And I guess we're going to do the, the shot. So this yeah. is when we wrap it up, right? So thank you for watching Zone Three Podcast. Thank yeah. you for subscribing. Tell your friends to it as well. Do all those things that YouTubers tell you to do. Reggie. Zone three, we are out. <laughs>
0: The information and comments provided in the Zone 3 podcast and website are not intended to be technical or medical recommendations or advice for individuals or patients. The information and comments provided under the auspices of Zone 3 podcast and their guests are of a general nature and should not be considered specific to any individual or patient whether or not a specific patient is referenced by the physician, technologist, individual, group, or other entities seeking information. Zone 3 podcast may provide links or references to websites. Such links are provided as a convenience to our listeners seeking more information on topics. These websites are not affiliated with Zone 3 podcast, nor do they endorse or manage content discussions unless otherwise stated during recording.